0: Hello and welcome to the Age of Victoria podcast I'm your host Chris Fernandez-Packham Thanks for tuning in Welcome to the Age of Victoria And this is something a little different from my main show So don't worry, you'll still be getting on the first of every month The full Age of Victoria researched history show But I thought I might do something a little new, a little different Uh, In addition to the monthly show I'm trying with the idea of releasing a few sort of what I'm going to call mini-sodes, which are mini-episodes, short shows of about 10-15 minutes, a bit more freeform than the main shows, a bit of a chance for me to actually um, talk off script a bit more, and just to make sure that you all get some content in between the main shows. What I'm thinking is there'll be little showcases of interesting Victorian tidbits that I've come across, uh, any announcements that I need to make, and perhaps covering some Victorian poetry and literature. So, my first announcement is as always, please, please, please leave some reviews of the show on iTunes. It really is one of the best ways to support the show. And leave me a comment on the Facebook group or drop me a line in an email. I'd love to know if these mini-episodes are actually worth doing. I'd also like to, again, throw out a plug for uh, Craig Buddy's History of Pirates podcast. It's been off the air for a while now, and now Captain Craig Buddy is back with episode 15. Fantastic to have an old friend podcaster back on the air. And also another plug for Jamie Jeffers, uh, who's doing some... Absolutely cracking work on the British History podcast at the moment. So please do give those two guys a listen. Great podcast, great entertainment. So I thought I'd do a quick on this day in history section for the mini-show today. Just picking up some trivia for the day or year for the Victorians is hugely tricky. Lots of events happened on any given day. For today, on the 9th of June, there were a lot of really huge events that happened. ...in the Victorian era. But for me, the one I'd like to pick is the death of Charles Dickens in 1870. I will obviously devote more than one show to Dickens. He was a towering figure in Victorian England. Not just as a writer, but as a journalist and a social reformer. He started from desperate poverty and hardship... ...that gave him a lifelong passion for social reform... He was not only a prolific author, but also a public speaker, journalist, campaigner and founder of a newspaper. I'm going to read you a few quotes that I enjoy from Dickens from the Uncommercial Traveller because they capture his brilliance at observation, criticism, humour and characterisation. For me, the little descriptions of the people he gives, even though they're very bare bones, makes them sort of jump off the page and i think it's a a hard skill for a writer to master but dickens really had that beautiful way of using a few sentences to create a picture that really leaps out at you i have um skipped a few intervening paragraphs just for editorial clarity so quote from the uncommercial traveler and i have very seldom been blown to any english place in my life where I could get anything good to eat or drink in five minutes, or where, if I sought it, I received a welcome. This is a curious thing to consider. But before, stimulated by my own experiences and the representations of many fellow travellers of every uncommercial and commercial degree, to resume the consideration of the curious question of refreshment, I am a Briton, and, as such... I am aware that I will never be a slave. And yet I have a latent suspicion that there must be some kind of slavery of wrong custom in this matter. I travel by railroad. I start from home at seven or eight in the morning after breakfasting hurriedly. What with skimming over the open landscape, what with mining in the deep, damp bowels of the earth, what with banging, booming, and shrieking the scores of miles away, I am hungry when I arrive at the refreshment station where I am expected. Please observe, expected. I have said I am hungry. Perhaps I might say, with greater point and force, that I am to some extent exhausted, and that I need, in the expressive French sense of the word, to be restored. What is provided for my restoration? The apartment that is to restore me is a wind trap cunningly set to inveigle all the draughts in that countryside and to communicate a special intensity and velocity to them, as they rotate in two hurricanes, one about my wretched head and one about my wretched legs. The training of the young ladies behind the counter, who are to restore me, has been from their infancy directed to the assumption of a defiant dramatic show that I am not expected. It is in vain for me to represent to them, by my humble and conciliatory manners, that I wish to be liberal. It is in vain for me to represent to myself, for the encouragement of my sinking soul, that the young ladies have a pecuniary interest in my arrival. Neither my reason, nor my feelings, can make head against the cold, glazed glare of eye, with which I am assured that I am not expected and not wanted. The solitary man among the bottles would sometimes take pity on me, if he dared, but he is powerless against the rights and mights of woman. Of the page I make no account, for he is a boy, and therefore the natural enemy of creation. Chilling fast in the deadly tornadoes, to which my upper and lower extremities are exposed, and subdued By the moral disadvantage at which I stand, I turn my disconsolate eyes on the refreshments that are to restore me. I find that I must either scold my throat by insanely ladling into it against time, and for no wager, brown, hot water stiffened with flour, or I must make myself flaky and sick with banbury cake, or I must stuff into my delicate organisation a current pincushion, which I know will swell into immeasurable dimensions when it has got there. Or I must exhort, from an iron-bound quarry with a fork, as if I were farming an inhospitable soil, some glutinous lumps of gristle and grease called pork pie. While thus forlornly occupied, I find that the depressing banquet on the table is in every phase of its profoundly unsatisfactory character "'so like the banquet at the meanest "'and shabbiest of evening parties "'that I begin to think I must have been "'brought down to supper, "'the old lady unknown, blue with cold, "'who is setting her teeth on edge "'with a cool orange at my elbow. "'That is the pastry cook, "'who has compounded for the company "'on the lowest terms per head, "'is a fraudulent bankrupt, "'redeeming his contract.' With the stale stock from his window, that for some unexplained reason, the family giving the party, have become my mortal foes, and have given it on purpose to affront me, or, I fancy that I am breaking up again, at the evening conversation, at school, charged two and sixpence in the half-year's bill, or breaking down again, at that celebrated evening party, given at Mrs. Bogle's boarding house, when I was a boarder there, on which occasion Mrs. Bogles was taken in execution by a branch of the legal profession, who got in as the harp and was removed to a place of duress half an hour prior to the commencement of the festivities. Or take another case. Take your own. You are going off by railway from any terminus. You have twenty minutes for dinner before you go. You want your dinner, and like Dr. Johnson, sir, you like to dine." you present to your mind a picture of the refreshment table at that terminus. The conventional shabby evening party supper, accepted as the model for all termini and all refreshment stations, because it is the last repast known to this state of existence of which any human creature would partake, but in the direst extremity, sickens your contemplation. And your words are these, I cannot dine on stay-on sponge cakes that turn to sand in the mouth. I cannot dine on shining brown patties composed of unknown animals within and offering, to my view, the device of an indigestible starfish in leaden pie crust without. I cannot dine on a sandwich that has long been pining under an exhausted receiver. I cannot dine on barley sugar cannot dine on coffee. You repair to the nearest hotel and arrive agitated in the coffee-room. It is a most astonishing fact that the waiter is very cold to you. Account for it how you may. Smooth over it how you will. You cannot deny that he is cold to you. He is not glad to see you. He does not want you. He would much rather you hadn't come. He opposes to your flushed condition an immovable composure, as if this were not enough. Another waiter, born as it would seem expressly to look at you in this passage of your life, stands at a little distance, with a napkin under his arm and his hands folded, looking at you with all his might. You impress on your waiter that you have ten minutes for dinner, and he proposes you shall begin with a bit of fish, which will be ready in twenty. That proposal declined. He suggests as a neat originality a veal or mutton cutlet. You close with either cutlet, any cutlet, anything! He goes leisurely behind a door, and calls down some unseen shaft. A ventriloquial dialogue ensues, tending finally to the effect that veal only is available on the spur of the moment. You anxiously call out, Veal then, your waiter having settled that point, returns to your tablecloth. With a table napkin folded, cocked hat-wise, slowly, something out of the window engages his eye. A white wine glass, a green wine glass, a blue finger glass, a tumbler, and a powerful field battery of fourteen casters, with nothing in them, or at any events. "'which is enough for your purpose, "'with nothing in them that will come out. "'All this time the other waiter looks at you "'with an air of mental comparison and curiosity. "'Now, as if it occurred to you, "'you are rather like his brother. "'Half your time gone, "'and nothing come but a jug of ale and the bread, "'you implore your waiter to see after that cutlet waiter. "'Pray do!' "'He cannot go at once.' for he is carrying in seventeen pounds of American cheese for you to finish with, and a small landed estate of celery and watercresses. The other waiter changes his legs, and takes a new view of you, doubtfully now, as if he had rejected the resemblance to his brother, and had begun to think you more like his aunt or his grandmother. Again you beseech your waiter, with pathetic indignation, to see after that cutlet, "'he steps out to see after it, "'and by and by, when you are going away without it, "'comes back with it. "'Even then, he will not take the sham silver cover off. "'Without pause for a flourish "'and a look at the musty cutlet "'as if he were surprised to see it, "'which cannot possibly be the case, "'as he must have seen it often before. "'A sort of fur has been produced on its surface "'by the cook's art, "'and in a sham... "'Silver vessel, staggering on two feet instead of three. "'There is a cutaneous kind of sauce of brown pimples and pickled cucumber. "'You ordered the bill, but your waiter cannot bring you the bill yet. "'As he is bringing instead. 3 flinty-hearted potatoes, two grim head of broccoli, "'like the occasional ornaments on the railings, badly boiled. "'You know that you will never come to this pass.' any more than to the cheese and celery, and when you imperatively demand your bill, that it takes time to get, even when gone for, because your waiter has to communicate with a lady who lives behind a sash window in the corner, and who appears to refer to several ledgers before she can make it out, as if you had been staying there a year. You become distracted to get away. And the other waiter, once more changing his leg, still looks at you, but suspiciously now, as if you had begun to remind him of the party who took the great coats last winter, your bill at last bought and paid. At the rate of sixpence a mouthful, your waiter reproachfully reminds you that attendance is not charged for a single meal, and you have to search in all your pockets for sixpence more. He has a worse opinion of you than ever. When you have given it to him, and let you out into the street... The air of one saying to himself, as you cannot doubt he is, I hope we shall never see you here again. End quote. What I love about this is the universality of it. As a commuter, it certainly strikes a chord today. Those times when we've been in a desperate hurry for an appointment or a train or a plane, and we just need something served quickly and easily and simply. And yet, somehow, the rules say, no, no. No, everything's going slowly now. And I have to say, I have been constantly amazed by how terrible the service remains in the UK. Customers are routinely treated as an inconvenience at best and sometimes fobbed off with the worst coldness possible. So it's nice to see that some things never change. Anyway, I hope you've all enjoyed this mini-sode and I look forward to hearing from you soon. Take care and bye for now. Okay, thank you for listening, and feel free to contact me at ageofvictoriapodcast at gmail dot com. That's ageofvictoriapodcast at gmail dot com with any questions, comments, or concerns. You can also visit our website at ageofvictoriapodcast.com. dot com. There's a load of great material on there, and I'll keep on adding extra maps and pictures as we go on to support the episodes. The show can be downloaded from iTunes, Stitcher, etc. And if you want to help support the show, please do visit the website, or better yet, leave a review on iTunes. Growing Our Community is a fantastic way to keep this podcast going, and the reviews really help.